and Hello. welcome to Real History. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> You're just ruining the surprise guest aspect. I'm, I'm sorry, I'll keep my trap shut. <sighs> Hello and welcome to the Real History, hosted right here on the Bunkerzilla Network, home of many wonderful other shows. Um, as you may have noticed, I am indeed not Hugh David, um, my normal co-host and co-producer, but in fact I am Jenna Pateman, and I'm taking a lead for this very special episode. I am an undergrad student at the University of Gloucestershire with a passion for my subject area, which is of course why I do this podcast. We look at a piece of media that has some sort of historical context or content, and then we discuss that content or context. And by the end, we reward it a percentage to whether or not we can class it as real history or real history. So, this week, you'll be pleased to know I am not alone and babbling by myself, but joined by a very special guest. So who are you, special guest? Hello, my name's Leah. I am a academic. Uh, I've just recently completed my MPhil uh, to do with Yay! Japanese culture, um, anime fandom in the UK. Um, but actually, what I'm here to talk about today, can I say... You're more yep. than welcome. What, what I'm actually here to talk about today is my experience of growing up in the tail end of the Troubles. Yes. Uh, so today we are looking at the Channel 4 sitcom, would you call it? It is Dark a sitcom, comedy. yes. Yeah. Um, Derry Girls, which is based in the 1990s during, as Leah said, the back end of the Troubles. Um, so what do you know? <laughs> the troubles as you were there <laughs> what do i know about the troubles i don't know <laughs> it's a very interesting name for what was actually going on i know it's like um, very it, it really does oh, sort of serve to, trouble it, it, it really does serve to sort of downplay exactly how terrible it was um and yeah uh, um growing up in it it sort of gives you a weird sort of perspective on things and every now and again I sort of think back to stuff that I've lived through when I was a child and which I kind of um sort of brushed off as just being a bit of you know it's just life and I just sort of go that's, that's so weird that I normalized that you know uh, memories of things like um uh I, I very clearly remember there was one day um I went swimming with my uh, my mum and my brother and sister and we were just you know swimming in the pool as you do and um Suddenly, all the uh, the pool attendants came out and said that we all had to leave because they'd called in a bomb scare, and um, you know, it was sort of you know, get out. We were all sort of out outside the leisure centre in our uh, swimming gear, and I was just sort of going, oh, not not again. And you know, it's it's, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like I say, it was just sort of it, it it just sort of registered to me as being a sort of a, a mild annoyance as opposed to it potentially being. <laughs> As opposed to it potentially being a sort of life or death situation, and, um, and yeah, and, you know, like like I say, it's a sort of thing that you sort of think back on, and you go, "That's so weird that I just normalised that." And you know, I wasn't very old at the time; I was, you know, maybe ten, eleven. So. Yeah. <laughs> See, um, here in Cheltenham, because we've got GCHQ, and also we have the race days, which attract a lot of Irish people, we were considered quite a high target. And I remember there being one bomb scare in one of the shopping streets and just, again, being mildly annoyed because I didn't understand what was going on. Mm. And But that was during the Troubles as well. But it's just me as a, like a six, eight-ish year old going, oh, that's annoying. I wanted to go to my toy shop. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, guess so, when you were the... I mean, oh, you when... <laughs> I mean, you know, when I was 
when I was 10 and, and things like that happened, it was just sort of, oh, that's annoying. And, but, you know, it's just sort of um, when I got into my teens and had a little bit more of an understanding of it, um, it was still, there was still just this feeling of, oh, these idiots, what are they doing again this time? You know, kind of thing. Um, and, mm. uh, and yeah, like I say, it's, it's so weird to sort of think back on that and think about how just normalized it was and how, um, I mean, I, I genuinely never felt at any point in my teens that I was ever in any mortal danger and I never sort of, mm. um, went around and sort of thought, oh, you know, today could be the day that the IRA get me or the day that the UDA get me because, you know, it's all very indiscriminate regardless of which side of the border you're on. Um, yeah. But, you know, there was there was never any sort of fear like that. And I mean, I know there were some people who were, um, you know, by nature of their um, position in the public, um, had to be more cautious about things like checking their checking their cars before they drove away in the morning and things like that. Yes. But um, but uh, I, my family was not one of them. And um, I never felt I never felt any kind of anxiety or worry about it. And it's it's sort of weird to say that. Um, so talking about what the troubles actually were. Trying to put where the trouble started can be quite difficult because yes. you could say it started when we first, when we, the English, decided to first invade Ireland. <laughs> um, so yeah, because so uh, I mean, yeah, a bit uh, of a history of that. <laughs> even even starting there, it's incredible where the um, uh, where the propaganda sort of begins, the euphemisms begin, because uh, it was Henry the Second who started it, and um, they called it plantation. Yes. Um, and, you know, which was literally just the, the uh, sending over of uh, English families to uh, to the wilds of Ireland uh, and um, with the with the intent of planting in it, uh, yes. which is a which is a nicer, friendly sounding way of saying colonizing it. Um, and um, yeah, and their, their purpose was to civilize the, the savage Celts um, by bringing uh, religion and culture to them. Um, and uh, it sort of persisted from Henry II. And it was, of course, you know, Henry VIII, all of you, our good friend Henry, um, who, uh, <laughs> who caused problems with, you know, wanting to get divorced and changing religion and that thus throwing the whole plantation scheme into turmoil because suddenly, you know, yes. Because previously they were all Catholic, and then oh, suddenly there's this um, Church of England thing. <laughs> yes, this new religion. Yes, and, which and is Catholic... about exactly the same people. Yeah, but but Catholicism <laughs> is no longer de rigueur, and um, you know um, don't like that anymore. So you know, and yeah, the conflict has gone from there. Yeah, because I have a feeling that most Irish people tend to be Catholic. Funny that. So... Well, it depends. <laughs> um, well, yeah. It depends very much on where you are. So, um, so the Irish Republic, I suspect, you know, myself, I suspect, is majority Catholic. Yes. Um, parts of Northern Ireland will be predominantly Protestant, um, and then mm. you have you know sort of situations like Belfast where there are very sort of clear divides between the two. Um, my hometown um, is a little bit different. It's a majority Catholic town. There are several. Um, oh, okay. There are several Catholic schools. To the, you know, there are far more Catholic schools in my hometown than there are um, Protestant or non-denominational ones. Mm. So, do you want to uh, say what your hometown was? Um, yes, I, I mean, uh, I have to admit, I you know, talking about Derry girls, I am not from Derry. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I am from Enniskillen in County Fermanagh, um, which is um, about a half hour drive from the border with the south. Um, okay. It's in it. Enniskillen is apparently the westernmost city in the UK. Um, okay. Calling 
calling it a city feels a bit funny because <laughs> it's, it's a city only in the sense that it has its own cathedral. Um, <laughs> the, the, the time size, it's the time size itself is tiny. Um, and yeah, um, yeah it, it, whenever I go back to it, it always feels weird to call it a city because it's it's a large town, if that. Um, yeah, especially as you live in London. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah the, the, the move to London was an interesting thing for me as well. <laughs> but um uh but yeah um but yeah Enniskillen is a predominantly catholic town there are if you are a catholic living in Enniskillen and you have children that you want to send to school you have far more choices available to you uh than you have if you are a protestant family um mm. case in point when when i was growing up there um if you were in a protestant family and you had an intelligent daughter uh there was a girls grammar school that you would send her to if you had an intelligent son, there was a boys' grammar school that you would send him to. And if you had a child of either gender who um, either didn't, either like you know, just wasn't intelligent enough in general, um, or <laughs> you know, or one way or another didn't get the eleven plus grades, there was yeah. a high, there was a non-denominational high school that they got sent to, um, and uh, all the other all the Catholic kids in town would go to one of the many and various Catholic high schools. Um, okay. The, the boys' high school was, in fact, just around the corner from my school that I went to, which was hysterical mm. because it meant fraternising among the Protestant <gasps> girls and the, and the Catholic boys. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> Can't be having that. Oh, no. Scandalous. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, so, I mean, it's... It, Funnily enough, last week I um, uh, I was in a taxi with a very talkative taxi driver, and um, uh, we were talking about you know sort of where I was from because he hadn't really met anyone from Northern Ireland before, and um, uh, he and he said something about uh, oh so you're a Catholic then, and I was like well if if you mean the country as a whole yes probably if you mean Northern Ireland as a whole maybe if you mean Enniskillen yes if you mean me no. <laughs> <laughs> Because you're not religious at all, really, are you? So. Um, it's one of those things where you can have no religious upbringing, but nonetheless, you are identified as a Catholic or a Protestant. Um, and mm. um, it, there's a um, one of the popular stories, which may or may not be apocryphal. I've heard some people relate this as uh, a thing that has actually happened to them or to someone that they know. But there are so many variants of it, you can't be quite sure. During the height of the Troubles, it was fairly common for uh, gangs of fellas to stop people on the street and ask them um are you a catholic or a protestant and you'd no way of telling from looking at them um which 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 the right answer was but if you gave the wrong answer then you get your ass kicked so um so the the story apparently the variant of it was to ask you which football team you supported which was even sneakier um Mm. anyway so the story goes that um a gang of fellas stop a guy on the street in belfast and they say to him are you a Catholic or a Protestant? And the guy responds, "Actually, I'm a Jew." And the response then comes, and the response then comes, "Are you a Catholic Jew or a Protestant Jew?" <laughs> and I, I'm not I, quite sure what to do with that. <laughs> no, because because you must be one or the other, right? Um, no, I've, I've 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 heard other variants. I've heard that you know with uh, with a Buddhist. I've heard it with an atheist. Um, but um, but yeah, I mean, it, in Northern Ireland. Um, probably even not it's a thing i was actually saying to someone a couple of weeks ago in, in northern ireland you can have a mixed marriage between two people who are white <laughs> yeah so so i know um 
I watch uh, called Midwife quite often, and they had an episode where it was scandalous because a two Irish people had run away from Ireland because one was Catholic and one was Protestant, and they were yep. getting married. And the, because it's called the Midwife, of course she was pregnant. So, mm-hmm. and yeah, it you can sort of it's <clears throat> the time period for that is so interesting, especially when you consider how many years on we are now. Yeah, and. <laughs> I don't because obviously I don't I've never actually been to Northern Ireland I've been to Ireland mm-hmm. um <clears throat> about 10 years ago now but would you say that the whole Catholic and Protestant divide is still there or is it can't obviously calmed down a lot or if you decided to get in a relationship with a Catholic boy would that be disapproved of still or um yeah. So from from my family's side of things, I don't think they would really care. Uh, my my mm. parents did make a very conscious effort to not raise me or my brother or my sister with any particular biases, um, mm. and um, you know, in as much as it's possible to raise someone with no biases against uh, a group to which they do not belong. Um, yeah. So so my family, I don't think would care. Um, I think um, in Enniskillen, it's. I'm not sure that the tension is quite there anymore. Um, I think there okay. is there, there are still pockets of it, um, and um, mm. I, th- I think you know with uh, with a lot of the stuff surrounding Brexit and talk of uh, borders and um, the uh, the danger to the Good Friday Agreement that is presented by um, you know exactly what's going to have to happen when um, when the UK leaves the EU and we've still got that border with the South. Um, yeah, I, th- I think you know there is still stuff bubbling beneath the surface that could come out in a really not very pleasant way um i yeah. de- i desperately hope that i'm wrong um but i mean certainly i think there are parts of belfast where there are still tensions um and mm. um the fact that you can in this day and age still make a uh, politically charged comedy about um the troubles and um you know, tension between catholic and protestant um i think that you know it's still relevant um it's just maybe yeah. not it's maybe not quite the powder keg that it once was, but definitely there are still tensions in places. Yeah, and I mean, you can make a political faux pas just by calling Derry either Derry or London Derry, depending yeah. on so, who um, you are. So. You, you may have noticed that whenever uh, the BBC or any other sort of uh, news sources refer to Derry, they call it uh, Derry London Derry. Yeah. Um, and it's just to cover all your bases. Um if you are driving in the in the Republic, uh, the road signs will point to Derry. Um, but if you are driving in the North, um, it will generally be London Derry. Hmm. Um, and I mean, it's it's in part it's uh, it's a language thing because uh, obviously in the South the road signs are all in Irish as well as in English, and um, the name Derry is derived from the Irish original. So it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to have the Irish name. Um, written and then to use the anglicised version of Londonderry uh, underneath yeah. it. <laughs> um, but yes, there certainly have been, um, uh, you know, political faux pas have happened where someone has referred to uh, Derry when it may have been better to say Londonderry or vice versa. Um, but mm. the um, uh, the uh, the mid ground that seems to be settled on is to refer to it as Derry Londonderry. Yeah. So. Um, so going into Derry Girls itself, as yep. we haven't actually really spoken about it, um, it is basically about four girls and one boy all attending um, 
the Catholic girls' school uh, in Derry. Yep. Um, <laughs> the reason that the young lad is going there, so James, is yep. because he's English. Mm-hmm. And so they're worried that if he went to a boys' school, he would be mercilessly picked upon. Uh, um, far worse than just being mercilessly picked <laughs> upon. <laughs> well, we're talking about the troubles. Yeah. So we, us English, we have a way of talking. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so, some, um, something that's uh, something that's interesting about uh, the the handling of um, of James is how it's sort of it's suggested that if they were to try and send him to a Catholic boys' school, as soon as they find out that he was English, they would beat the shit out of him for being English. Um, but it's also kind of suggested that it may also be because he's a little bit effeminate and they may think that he's gay. (laughs) Which, to be honest, could also happen. (laughs) Yes. Um, There is a long-running joke about him possibly being gay in the series. Yeah. So the main character is Erin, and she lives with her cousin, and she has her friends, Claire and Michelle, and as I said, they're all Catholic, so... They all go to a school where a nun is the person in charge and she is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it's basically the adventures of these teenagers during their years, um, at the end of the Troubles, um, dealing with daily life. And like one episode, they want to go see Take That. So I think they have to travel to Belfast for that. Yes. And so they have to catch a bus and then there's a bomb scare accidentally and then they uh, run into some travellers and it, it, all shenanigans sort of happen, basically. It's that yeah. sort of show. It's very British comedy. It's very black comedy as well because um, <clears throat> there's some very, very dark humour, although it does have its um, serious moments, which I really enjoyed about well, it. So. I'm... I don't know if it's just my perspective, but I'm not sure I would describe much of the humour in Derry Girls as being dark, per se. Mm. Um, and I don't, like I say, I don't know if that's because um, so much of my own lived experience was, you know, in, res- in responding to threats of terror was just going, oh, not again. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, as as you see in the first episode, you know, when um, yeah. uh, when there's a bomb scare on uh, on the bridge, and uh, and the family's just all sitting around going, oh. I, I, I was I was meant to be going to get my hair done. What am I going to do? You know, are the kids going to be able to get to school? That kind of thing. You know, you're going to have to take the long way around. Oh, I don't want to take the long way around. You. Know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there's anything that's actually overly dark or black comedy in Derry Girls. I think it's a uh, personally, I think it's a much more straightforward comedy. Um, and mm. um, it's it's just that it has a really keen sense of um, how as a Northern Irish person, you tended to respond to things at the time, um, which I don't know, maybe to, maybe to an English viewer, that seems very dark, but um, yeah, no, for, from my perspective, it's a very straightforward comedy. I think because it's dealing with something that I consider a dark piece of history, mm. I consider it a dark comedy. Okay. Say you're setting something in Germany during the pre second world war period. During the Weimar Republic. That's it. Who's the historian here? <laughs> the, the the only th- good things I took away from GCSE history when I was at school were the history of medicine and the history of Germany. So, <laughs> <laughs> which I think is what they pretty much still do. So, um, yeah. I mean, I, I did an awful yeah. lot of Irish history in in school, but um, I I will be honest, I find a lot of it terribly dreary. <laughs> yeah, for us, it's kind of like Ireland gets mentioned as a footnote. Mm. It's like, oh yeah, and Ireland's over there doing its own thing. 
we're ruling it. So, yeah. Whereas Don't need to worry. I, I, Irish history for me was sort of going into school one day and uh, going to history class and the history teacher saying, right, today we're going to be talking about the flight of the Earls. And I just go, what? <laughs> <laughs> when have Is we ever had royalty? I just imagine someone putting Earls in catapults. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I yeah. barely even remember what the actual historical context of the flight of the Earls was. It was, it, it was a, a, you know, it, it was basically the um, uh, the uh, Celtic nobility, I believe, basically being driven out um, from mm. from their homes and having to flee because the English were coming, I guess. But like, like I say, it's sort of. So much of it I find so terribly dreary, and because you know the, the thing that sort of annoyed me with this was um, our teacher sort of giving us a gigantic you know, printout of a map of Ireland, and we had to sort of trace on it where they all went, and you know, at, and at what time. And I was just sitting there going, "How do you know where they went?" <laughs> <laughs> well, you couldn't really sat nav them more. <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't think even they knew where they were going. <laughs> they were just going east or west or away from. <laughs> <laughs> whoever was chasing them so. pretty much <laughs> yeah um but that's i think the major difference is that you actually got to learn the history of your country while for us it was kind of as i said a footnote so we learned that there was a famine mm. and that had a toll on things but that was about it and oh and then ireland became independent and then other countries became independent. That's kind of how we learnt about it. Mm. It was just like, this is another side thing going on in England's history. Which is kind of a shame, because I think Irish history, some of it can be very interesting, and it can it some of it does relate to what is going on now, especially with Brexit. Um, see, the problem is also, I don't know what they're learning right now. I mean, mm. with my courses at the moment... Um, I haven't really touched much on Ireland either because I'm learning about England, well, Britain, and I'm learning about colonisation, but I'm not learning about Ireland specifically. It's kind of, it's always bunched up with all the other nations, yeah. like, which is interesting. Um, I mean, obviously, it's still part of the Commonwealth now. Um, and so they join in with Commonwealth Games and that sort of thing. Mm. But something yeah. that actually shot through my head, actually, just as I was, uh, uh, you know, just as you were speaking, was mm. um, I, because obviously I had the perspective of learning Irish history at a Protestant school, um, mm. and um, I, I wonder um, what the what the angle was for the history classes in the Catholic schools, and if there was more, yeah. if there was more emphasis on. Um, you know the atrocities of the English, and um, mm. you know uh, more sort of explicitly about you know how colonialism is a bad thing because um, this sort of stuff was presented to me in a sort of more sort of straightforward historical context, and I don't remember yeah. there being sort of um, I don't remember any of my teachers sort of explicitly setting out the good guys and the bad guys, um, and you know possibly that's why a lot of my takeaway about it was you know all such nonsense on both sides kind of thing and uh, you know mm. it's a uh, more complicated and more nuanced than that um but um, yeah. but obviously you know like i say i had i had the i had a pro the protestant teaching and i do wonder what the catholic teaching was like digging a bit more into the show obviously as I, i've said you've got the shenanigans of the teenagers being the major 
part of the show and them interacting kind of with the troubles and also just general 90s life yeah so there are so many 90s references that i'm just like oh this is my childhood oh hi <laughs> so like the references to take that and yeah. the music because it opens with cranberry's dreams yeah so which is a very very 90s song. <laughs> something i really like about uh dairy girls and the way it's structured is that because it takes um the a group of teenagers as its focal point what you get is something that actually represents very much kind of the way it felt because i was um i was about the same age as the characters in derry girls were um in you know at the time um so mm-hmm. the uh, the good friday agreement uh, was signed in 1998 and i was 17 at the time so or well i was, yeah. I was two days away from my 17th birthday um so uh, <laughs> so in terms of age i was not that far off what the characters of Derry Girls are in the storyline and your life didn't just stop because there was bombing going on Mm. and at the end of the day you know we we were still teenagers and we still had teenage concerns and we still had you know we still had the popular we had the same popular culture of the time yeah and things like take that coming to play in northern ireland was a really big deal i mean you know take take that doing concerts in england was a big deal i'm sure but um one of the characters says oh we never get anyone over here it's true. So much of my childhood was sort of looking at events that were happening in England and knowing that if they ever came to Ireland, it would be Belfast, maybe. And that was mm. all we'd get. There was, I, I remember actually in my teens, uh, there was one year and uh, Boyzone were going to play a concert in our local leisure centre. And <laughs> the town went nuts. Absolutely nuts. <laughs> I. I wasn't even into Boyzone and I thought, oh, I, want to, I really want to go and see Boyzone. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's uh, uh, there's the thing, like, you, you, fundamentally, the uh, the characters of Derry Girls are normal teenagers, but it's just that they are having to negotiate teenage life in a quite extraordinary political situation. And, yeah. you know, with with somewhat of an understanding of it, but also with a sort of lack of regard for it. Because, and again, it's that sort of, um, oh, this is really inconveniencing me kind of response to the threat of a bomb. Because, you know, well, I want to go to that concert. Oh, well, you know, you shouldn't go to that concert. It's a long way to travel and there might be a bomb. And it's like, you know, yeah, but I want to go to that concert <laughs> kind of thing. Um, <laughs> and it's it's something that I actually find really relatable about Derry Girls. And something that um, is portrayed so well is the fact that the, the girls are just trying to live their lives um, mm. And essentially, I mean, if if you were to remove any reference to sort of the troubles and any kind of political tension from it, you would have a bunch of teenagers just doing normal teenage things and trying to figure out solutions to normal teenage problems, like figuring out how to raise money for a school trip because their families yes. can't afford it. Well, you know, what, what do you do? You just go and you see if you can find a, a menial job somewhere. Um, that's a very normal teenage thing. And um, that's something that can sort of exist independently of any sort of political background especially you know to do with the troubles and that's the thing i really like about it and it's the thing that makes it very relatable for me Mm. and so then every now and again when they do drop in little sort of references to the actual political situation that was going on at the time it's there's there's one occasion when they do it really well which is right at the end of the first series um Mm -hmm. where orla is it yes orla the cousin (laughs) so uh, (laughs) when you know when um uh, when when the school is holding the uh, the talent competition, 
and or the talent show and uh... every school has a talent competition but are you really that talented really (laughs) absolute shout out to sister michael in that episode for for saying (laughs) about you know sort of uh, it's it's you know when when you when you see this every year, and um, and you hear you hear the students um, performing uh, well-known pop songs that you really appreciate, just how talented the original performers of those pop songs were, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is absolute the, the, the most cutting Irish thing anyone could say. You know? um, so yes, the talent show when um, uh, Orla has spent the whole episode sort of obsessively doing um, uh, aerobics. And she gets mm. up on the stage to to do her aerobics, and everyone in the audience starts laughing at her. But then, you know, uh, her friends sort of say, "Oh, she's one of us," and um, get up on the stage and are dancing with her. Um, but in that scene, it cuts back and forth between them dancing on the stage and having fun, and um, the family at home watching in horror as there's reports of a bomb um, somewhere in town. Mm. And actually, when I first saw that episode. My immediate thought was, oh, I wonder which bomb that was. Because, you know, un- unless you have like a sort of really big, terrible one, like um, the the couple that we had in my hometown or near my hometown, um, which I will talk about in a little bit, um, mm. you sort of, there were so many bombs where it was, you know, there was destruction, but there was no loss of life. And so they all sort of blend into one so the first thing i did after watching that episode in fact was to look up and see which bomb was that it turns out it's not actually any particular bomb Mm. the the writer was actually trying to explicitly draw a juxtaposition between the normal life that you live um and in the case of the in the case of the the main characters of sort of you know just being normal teenagers and having fun with their friends and you know and and about that sort of friendship and kinship and especially because it sort of you know begins with what they specifically say is she's our dick yeah because 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 the audience is sort of going oh what a dick and and they just sort of go oh she may be a she may be a dick but she's our dick which i think is a very friendship thing yes when you're a teenager but but yeah so it's it's sort of it 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 comes from sort of you know the 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 group of teenagers who are very close friends and them just living the normal life and then going on in the background to it all is the fear and and the terror um and the fact that you do some you did sometimes end up sort of you know watching aghast at um news broadcasts related to things that had happened and i mean i when i said you know the the instance that happened in my hometown there were two bombs that I lived through in Enniskillen, one of which was the Remembrance Day bomb in 1987. Um, mm. The other was the bombing of the Killy Havlin Hotel, uh, which happened when I was in my teens. And um, that one, a warning was called into the hotel. There was a mixed marriage actually having their reception in the hotel and that they figured that's why oh. it was targeted. But everyone everyone left the hotel in time. It, uh, it destroyed the hotel. They, yeah. they you know the, the way the hotel looks now is completely unrecognisable from how it was at the time because the whole sort of front area was just completely obliterated. Yeah, but there was no loss of life with that one, and the only reason I remember that one is because it was in my hometown. I remember very clearly the night that it happened, and actually because the Killy Hevelin Hotel is not too far away from my parents' house, 
So, um, so that sort of made a big impression on me. But of course, also the Oma bomb in 1998. Oma is really not far from Enniskillen, sort of the next county over. Um, okay. And that one, that happened on my mother's birthday. <laughs> um, oh, no. And, yeah, and I mean that that's. That for me is the more surreal of the two, um, you know, between that and the, the uh, Remembrance Day bomb. Because the Remember- Remembrance mm-hmm. Day bomb, I was six years old, and um, there are sort of, you know, there was only a sort of semi understanding of the implications of it. Um, whereas with the Oma bomb, I was um, seventeen. Um, my then boyfriend, who was English, was uh, visiting, oh. um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it was it was just like, well, you know, welcome to Northern Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> um but like i said that, that that was my mother's birthday we had gone out for the day and um it was this weird thing of you know pre-internet so we had no kind of news or anything and we, you know we didn't know what was going on um we yeah you wouldn't get a message like we do now of a no suddenly bbc news sound and then oh what's trump done now kind of yeah. thing so um yeah but um it, it was the sort of bizarre experience of pretty much literally we walked through the front door of our house. The phone rang. Uh, I picked it up and it was one of my dad's colleagues at the hospital. And he said, tell your dad he has to come in. There's been a bomb. And the whole rest of the day, my dad was away. And the whole rest of the day, we just sat around the TV watching for updates and watching for news. Mm. And and that's that was a very normal experience. And and that you know that came off the back of us having come back from having a lovely day out with my family, you know. Yeah. So um, so yeah, I mean the 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 way that they cut between those two scenes in the end of season one, it just captured it so beautifully, and it's yeah. you know it, it portrays it really really well. And um, you know, I, mean, I, I don't mind saying that you know I did, I did a bit of a rewatch of the whole you know both series for uh, you know in preparation for this and. Um, mm. You know, oh no! What a what a shame! What a hardship! <laughs> well, no, you know, it was great to rewatch it all, and you know, sort of good to remind myself of bits of it. But the the weird thing for me was that when I first watched it, I didn't have anywhere near as much of an emotional response as I did the second time, and mm. um, and maybe it was because I was watching it by myself, or maybe it was because I, there were things that I could uh, pay attention to more on the second watch but you know those are bits of it where i was just sort of welling up you know um and um Mm. the um so much of it is because it portrays things so well in terms of capturing the realism and i'm sort of possibly giving away how how i'm going to vote when it comes to the vote at the end but um (laughs) um but yeah i mean it's it and there are so many sort of nice little things like that which are accessible if you are not irish but which, if you yeah. are Irish and you grew up in that time period, it it comes so true to life to you. Yeah. And I think there are so many things that you can recognise from your own childhoods anyway, as well. Mm. Even, as you said, even if you're not Irish. Just like this name calling and joking that someone's gay and having your own little gang kind of thing and trying to work out where you sit and yeah. what it is you want to do with your life and I think those are all very relatable things mm-hmm. <laughs> and the cleaning of the chip shop is a very <laughs> relatable <laughs> <laughs> I feel um, that's basically me when I'm tidying up I put mayonnaise totally on the windows <laughs> wait this isn't Wendelini <laughs> Um, in reference to what we're talking about, there's an ep- 
uh, the same episode where they are having to get jobs, they are trying to fix up the chip shop because of the fact they stole the notice board with all the jobs on so no one else could take the jobs. And so the chip shop owner makes them clean the shop. And then being teenagers and I'm not sure how many chores they do, do not know what they're doing and they somehow manage to make it a bigger mess. Yeah. And then set it on fire. Which they then try and blame on an horror attack. <laughs> so even like an episode where there hasn't been any references to troubles, they still managed to bring it back. Like they tried to use it as their uh, get out excuse. Yeah, well, because oh, obviously the... you, earlier in the episode you had um, uh, the the uncle who you know the, the terribly boring uncle who you know got. Uh, <laughs> You know, mugged by a couple of fellas who are suggested to be terrorists uh, who stole his van. You know, after you know uh, tying him to his radiator, um, and his incredibly boring relating of the story. <laughs> um, but uh, and and then the whole kind of oh, we should you know we should, we should call UTV? We'll get free chips for it. <laughs> and, and again, it was just it, it's that sort of um, you know what can I get out of this? Oh, brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> That must that must have been terrible for you, Uncle Colum. Let's put you on TV and see if we get some free chips out of it. You know? <laughs> I think that's a very human reaction to things. Yeah, if it hasn't actually injured you. You're going to be like, right, what can I do with this? Yeah. So there's also the time when they're going on holiday. They're trying to escape the. Is it the Orange Parade? Yes, the uh, the 12th of you... July um, Orange Orange Man parades, uh, which is a Protestant event. Yes, and so they're trying to escape it, and because they don't want to be there during it, and they find someone in their boot of their car who's obviously trying to get across the border, mm. and they're very unsure of what to do or what he's done to why he's trying to run away and that sort of thing. And there's a long discussion about what to do, and the way they play it, although it is a very tense situation, it is really funny because it is. You can kind of imagine your your own family having that sort of discussion. Yeah. <laughs> like someone being, yeah, let's do it. Let's help him. And then someone being like, no. <laughs> and then people being very in between and then people arguing over chips. So, <laughs> but, you know, again, with, with the fella as well, because he's sort of, he's so gormless you know and um if you were confronted by someone who like had a actually had a gun and was threatening you you would respond entirely differently to this fella who's just like yeah yeah i, I kind of have to get across the border you know you mind giving mind giving me a hand kind of thing and you know it's 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 so com- comparatively benign um yes. <laughs> like I, I i wouldn't want to say that my family would have responded in the same way because they pr- <laughs> Most certainly would not have done, but um, but no, I mean it's it's presented as such a different sort of situation where you can just sort of sit and you know have petty arguments with the rest of your family about how you handle it, as opposed to mm. oh shit, someone's got a gun on me and actually wants to kill me. <laughs> and then when um, a car pulls up and tells them to get in, and they automatically assume they're getting kidnapped, and it just turns <laughs> out to be James's mum. <laughs> But again, you so, know, is, is how much of that is fear of the troubles and how much of that is your straightforward stranger danger? Yes, because <laughs> that was a big thing still in the same time. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it is such a good show. It's, a, I would say, a highly recommended one from us. Um, the comedy is very good. The situations are great. The acting is amazing. 
And, I, I also um, want to just highlight one little sort of one nice little Easter egg, which um, probably goes over the heads of most people. Um, mm. So uh, the the grandfather in it is played by um, Ian McElhinney, um, who uh, you may recognise from Game of Thrones. Yes. But um, there's an episode where uh, he's watching TV and um, Jerry Adams is giving an interview. And of course, back in the day, Jerry Adams, you could not hear his actual voice on TV. It was dubbed over. Um, mm. And um, they say in the episode, it's, oh, it's because he's, he's such a charismatic speaker and you know, it's, uh, it's threatening. And uh, that's the I don't know if that's the actual reason why uh, it was felt that they needed to dub over Jerry Adams's voice. But in my teens, I was certainly told that it was because there was a fear of his um, charisma, Um, which is so funny when you look at his Twitter feed today, where he's talking about (laughs) cream eggs and his teddy bears that are in a gay marriage. Um, But (laughs) but anyway, to to go back to, um, so yeah, so the um, Jerry Adams on TV was always dubbed. And the person who dubbed Jerry Adams's voice all those years was Ian McElhinney. Oh wow, that's really so, cool. So it's and it's so funny. He's because he's watching it, and they're sort of talking about how um, you know, uh, it, isn't it funny that they won't let us hear his actual voice? And Ian McElhinney sort of leans over, you know, as Granda Joe, and, and says, uh, "Oh, I have it on good authority. He's got a fine voice, yeah, something like that." <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's such a delightful little nod, which yeah, you don't get unless you sort of unless you know about that, and it it doesn't really sort of make a huge difference if you don't know about it but it's such a nice extra little thing if you do so i think we've got to the end of the episode so we are going to judge whether or not this is real history or real history i feel um, sad because there's still so much that we could talk about it i know and, you know we, I know. we, we didn't get to this... touch on on there actually being lgbt re- representation i um, know i know. <laughs> <laughs> for for the benefit of anyone who has not seen it yet there is a coming out story in it and it is so perfectly done. Um, yes. Just in, in terms of just sort of capturing the tensions and capturing how the other characters respond to the person who comes out and it's, it's just spot on. It's so, so good. And um, I mean, you know, from my perspective, having grown up in Northern Ireland at the time and I sort of, uh, I remember what it was like at my school. I don't remember that anyone ever actually did come out, but there was talk about some people, i.e. me. Um, yeah. And oh, uh, no. <laughs> uh, well, they were half right. They're, they're, yeah, I, 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 I joke. Yeah, they were half right. <laughs> but, um, uh, but you know, so having grown up in that environment and sort of seeing the way the characters respond to it it's just like yeah no that seems about right um and mm. you know, possibly it's the same you know if, if you grew up in an english school possibly it's the same thing like i don't have the experience but um but the way that whole thing is done is just so perfect and it's so yeah true. well there was always rumors flying around about people that that's just as soon as people found out that homosexuality was a thing I think then you're like, oh, who could it be? Because someone in our school must be. So is it I mean, the it... very effeminate boy? <laughs> I mean, so. the one thing that I would say about it where it's, it, I mean, it's, it's maybe just a little bit more accepting than is historically accurate mm. because, you know, homophobia was still sort of pretty rampant in Ireland and probably still is to a degree. Even well, though we, then, we, we have um... just recently got gay marriage, which is great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's it's the most the most Northern Irish thing ever is the fact that we we got equal marriage and abortion rights because no one in Stormont would get off their butts and actually do anything. <laughs> it 
is is it the only time that there has been significant constitutional change as a result of complete inaction? <laughs> oh god. Yes, because for a long time Northern Ireland was the only part of the United Kingdom that you did not have access to abortion or to gay marriage. Uh, and more it, than more than not having access to abortion, it was criminalized. Yes, um, there was you know there was an incident not so long ago where there was a, a woman who I can't remember the exact details, but basically she she had um, she got pregnant and then had taken some steps or another to have an abortion, and her housemate reported her and she got arrested. Jeez. I, I, I don't remember the exact details, actually. I, I'll, I can maybe quickly Google it. but um... I was just going to say that um, it was a reason that a lot of Northern Irish girls and Irish girls in general would come over to use NHS services to do abortions. And it's always the correct thing of just because you make it illegal does not mean it's going to stop it. So, like, making uh, homosexuality uh, weddings not legal in Northern Ireland doesn't mean people of the same gender aren't going to fall in love. It's You can't stop that sort of thing. And so it's now, thankfully, Northern Ireland is now provided with safe and legal abortions and love wins. Which is brilliant. Um, yeah, so um, just to go back to that story, I mean, so a quick Google is, um, it seems that she bought abortion pills online, which was actually oh, okay. a common practice. And uh, you know, the, uh, women would buy ab- abortion pills online and then basically scrub their internet history so that they couldn't be caught. But mm. um, you know, uh, I'm just sort of looking at a new story here. Um, Suzanne Lee from Belfast, who took the pills in August 2012 during her third year at university, said, either you arrest me and charge me or you change the law. Yeah, it, it seems that there, there was no charge for her in the end, but, um, but there have been cases is where um you know, and like i say there was uh, I, I don't think it was the same case but there, there was a case of uh, a woman who procured some uh, abortion pills um to handle an unwanted pregnancy and her housemate found the pill packet and um, reported her so so yes we have moved on and i'm very glad of it <laughs> yes in your opinion would where would you put the sort of percentage now it's a fun thing and say even if you mark it low it doesn't mean that the film is bad um or market high doesn't mean that it's good but i think in this case my sort of opinion would go to sort of the 80 percent sort of like and 20 percent being kind of fictional because it feels very real and there's some little changes in the timeline like the general ceasefire agreement and then bill clinton the president visiting is very sort of smushed together when that was a few months apart and it seems like that could have just been a few days with yeah. how the episodes are. I think it would be interesting to see what they do with the third season if and when it happens. And I really hope it does. Yeah. <laughs> it's being commissioned for this year. Marvellous. Um, that is why they did the Bake Off thing as well. Yes, which I haven't seen yet and I really should. <laughs> yeah, I need, I need to watch it. Apparently it's hilarious. Um, the cast uh, had some fun on uh, doing a Bake Off special so they could all bake. So and apparently there was uh, shenanigans with custard, which is always a wonderful thing to see on <laughs> Bake Off. So anyway, um, yes, yeah, so I, I would be inclined to agree with your um, with your marking. I'd maybe be a little bit more generous and gave it maybe eighty five percent. But um, I mean, like I say, the, it, I think even the sort of elements which are very clearly fictionalized are done so well, and um, and which are done you know 
for a purpose. Um, so the yeah. um, the the slight sort of playing with the timeline. I think it's it's not done for the sake of it. I think it's it does actually you know it makes sense in the context and the the bits that they do fictionalize like the escaped polar bear. Um, <laughs> it's it just sort of adds a nice sort of element of fun to it. Yeah. <laughs> the polar bear has been recaptured snacking on a sheep. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had I had genuinely forgotten about that aspect of it, and when I hit it again in the rewatch, I just cried laughing. It was so funny. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I think um, the it, it has been written in a way which is designed to convey the realities and the the overall sort of feel of what it was like to grow up in that environment, while also being entertaining and um presenting so, you know stuff that is relatable um mm. and the bits that they've had to fictionalize are not done with any degree of malice or intent to um mislead anyone um it's it's done very much to maintain the flow and maintain the overall purpose of the program and the purpose of the storytelling um so like i say i would, I would i'd give it 85% because i think um obviously there are bits which are fictionalized but enough of it is done in a realistic way and in a way which feels truthful as someone who grew up in that um mm. that you know i i wouldn't want to mark it any lower than that fair enough one thing i will say it's that um it was created and written by Lil, uh, lisa mcgee and it was mm-hmm. from what i've heard very much based on like her experiences so i think that's one of the things that helps it feel so real like yeah. uh, the coming out story was kind of based on what she wanted to happen mm-hmm. rather than what happened to her. It was kind of like, this is how I wish it had happened. And that's yeah. the thing. But yeah, it's, it is a really wonderful series. It is very British in the fact of it's only, how many episodes is it? Six uh, episodes per season. 12. Yeah, <laughs> so six episodes. So unlike like American series where you have like 24, we have very short series. And so there's only 12, so you can binge watch it in very quick time. It is a ava- first season in England and Ireland. It is available on Netflix or uh, 4OD and Sky. Uh, it's also available seasons one and two. And if you're anywhere else in the world, it's available all on Netflix. So, which is awesome. Actually, one thing I would like yeah. to ask, just out of curiosity, did mm-hmm. you, did you, when you were watching it, at any point need to put the subtitles on? No. Oh, marvellous. Because <laughs> um, I'm used to hearing Irish voices. That's true. Uh, you've got to remember my uh, grandmother-in-law is uh, Irish. That's true. Because um, yes. no, uh, <laughs> apparently one of the common things that is sort of said um, to the actresses and uh, you're about the actresses, like, can I put some subtitles in those wee girls? You <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, but also just because um, there is a, there's another Northern Irish sitcom which um, doesn't get the same exposure in the UK, um, which is called Give My Head Peace, um, mm. which has been running uh, since the 90s. Not not sort of you know, regularly since the 90s, but um, uh, it's, a, it's a Northern Irish comedy troupe who have a long history of doing politically charged comedy. It started out just after the, um, after the ceasefires. They did a TV movie special thing that was called Two Ceasefires and a Wedding. And uh, and it then sort of turned into a long-running TV series sitcom. And um, there are some episodes actually that are on BBC iPlayer at the moment. If you go watch it, uh, yes. they've they, they've done a new series specially for the new year. It's only four episodes. Um, three have aired already, and the fourth should be tomorrow, I think. And it's 
incredibly funny but everyone's accents in that are very thick and um i showed one episode of it i managed to find one on youtube and i showed it to a former boyfriend and he just stared at it in utter bewilderment (laughs) he had no idea what was going on he had no idea why any of it was funny uh and i was sitting there crying you know (laughs) and he's yeah what did they say (laughs) i don't understand who's that guy why why is it funny that it's his pain yeah and and yeah, so I I am always intrigued to see if people, when they watch Northern Irish stuff, need to have because because some of our accents are very thick and some of yeah. our slang is very odd. Um and um yeah, James so it's, it's... even references that on um a few times saying yeah. about the fact of all the different words and like why do you have to say everything is this and that and yeah. <laughs> Um, Jack had a quite a uh, similar sort of thing because um, we call everything lush, and yeah. um, we even in Cheltenham compared to the other side of the country, we have our own particular slang. It is a show I'd highly recommend uh, for both girls and boys. Mm-hmm. There's nothing anyone should really object to. I think there's some language used occasionally that people might find a bit off, but it is more the language of the time. Also, so, it, dep- it depends on how scandalised you're going to be by the fact that teenagers are horny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because um, they're all over 16, aren't they? Um, I believe they're meant to be about 16 or 17 in the show, yeah. Yeah, which... Also, it's, not like, was... it's not like you ever actually get any evidence of any of them actually having sex. It's just a couple of them talking the about it a kissing. lot. Yeah. Well, one definitely speaks about it a lot. <laughs> oh, what's the word that she uses? It? Is it a ride? Mind- a ride, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyone um, who's attract, anyone who's attractive is a ride. Yes. <laughs> and the, the thing, the thing I love about Michelle, because it is Michelle that we're talking about, is yes. um, whenever I watch Derry Girls, I look at Michelle and I think that's Lindsay Sheeran that I went to school with. <laughs> <laughs> and I can invoke her name here because she'll never find out about this. <laughs> wow! I have a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think the really lovely thing about Derry Girls as well is that it seems to have been really taken into the Irish community. Like, I know that they've got a mural up of them in Derry now, mm-hmm. um, of the girls and James, and they seem very proud of it, which is lovely. How many things can you think of that have highlighted Derry in the way that Derry Girls has? Only the news occasionally. Yeah. Uh, having to know it as Derry, London Derry. Yeah. And... The fact that Radio 1 uh, had a one big weekend there one year and they had to keep saying Derry, London, Derry. <laughs> I was very confused to why. But there, there is... Like, oh. <laughs> but there, there is so... Derry is not a place that you highlight if you're doing mm. about Northern Ireland because it's usually Belfast. And, um, you know, something which is, you know, an interesting experience for me is if I encounter someone else in the wild in uh, in England who's got a Northern Irish accent, uh, they're usually from Belfast and every now and again they're not from Belfast and that's tremendously exciting um, <laughs> there, there was one day I was in, you know when I lived in Bath I encountered a guy in a in a shop who um, had a Northern Irish accent he wasn't from Belfast he was from uh, from Ballymena which is where I used to live and in fact I said to him oh no I used to live in Ballymena find out we were about the same age we had gone to the same school and we both remembered <laughs> the time we both remembered the time that my p2 teacher got killed in a gas explosion <laughs> oh my god yeah 
So we just sort of stood, we just stood in this like little fudge shop near the cathedral in uh, in Bath and just sort of reminiscing about gas explosions. And the, the shopkeeper was just going, "What on earth's going on here?" And that's so 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 Irish. <laughs> Yeah, obviously, apart from you, I don't actually know any other Northern Irish people. Mm. I know quite a few Irish people because of Jack's family. Yeah. Even though it took until we went to Dublin for him to work out he's actually half Irish, uh, which is (laughs) hilarious. And then that's when the potato jokes with me and him started. So I'll say yes, we're giving it 85. Yes. So it is much more closer to... um, non-fiction and fiction um even though the characters are fictional characters but it is such a good show i'm gonna just keep saying that over and over again because it is and i want more people to see it so uh we've reached the end of the episode and where can they find you leah so i'm on twitter at leah m holmes all one word um i can also be found if you're interested in my cosplay which is another thing that i do um look up syllabub cosplay on facebook so, uh, I'm Jenna, as I said at the beginning. You can find me at Nadesco Kitty on Twitter. Uh, I also have a Kofi link, which is Jenna Pateman. You can find many of my works on bunkerzilla.co.uk, uh, which is our home and host for our podcast, where you can find many other shows like The Big Stomp, which I am actually going to be on. Well, we're recording that next week, so that's going to be fun, and we're going to be talking about lots of different geeky issues. Uh, all that leaves for me to do now is say thank you very much to my special guest. Thank you for having me. So, um, <laughs> yes, bye-bye. Goodbye.